All right, grab your Bible. Grab your Bible and join with me in Acts chapter number 24. Acts chapter number 24. We're going to find the first official Roman uh, tribunal that Paul is going to stand before. He's going to stand before Governor Felix, and, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But we titled this Missed Opportunities. Missed opportunities. Felix misses a major, major opportunity uh, to believe the gospel and trust in Christ and be saved. So let's look in in verse number one, and we'll begin uh, this evening. The Bible says, And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews, in other words, the elders that came from Jerusalem with him, they all agreed, they all assented, saying these things were so. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, and keep in mind the way is talking about Christianity there. All right, he calls him, Tertullus calls him the Nazarene, and now Paul is calling it the way. So he's talking about Christianity. He said that way, the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And I've hoped toward God that which uh, they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, now he begins to explain what he was doing in Jerusalem. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had aught against me, or else let these same here say if they have found any evil or any, uh, any evil doing in me, which I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cry. In other words, he said, the only reason I'm here is because I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. 
And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to study your word and to, uh, Lord, just to come together and, 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 and block out all the, the things of this world, all the distractions, all of the, the things that would, would hinder us from hearing from you. And Lord, for just a few moments tonight, I pray that we can focus just strictly on your word, focus on what is going to make us better Christians, focus on what we need to edify and build up each other and strengthen our faith and become the Christians we ought to be. God, I pray that you'll teach us now. Help us. Open my mind. Uh, Father, you know how desperately I need you. You know how desperately I need the Holy Spirit to guide my heart and my mind and my thought process, Lord. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. and Don't let me forget anything I should. God will thank you and praise you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Let's jump right on in this thing. Let's, let's start. Let's start first by doing a little brief review to get, get, to get where we are here in chapter number 24. If you'll remember the last couple of weeks, Paul has finished his third missionary journey. He's come back to Jerusalem with the offering, uh, that he has taken up with all the Gentile churches to help and minister to the, the starving and, and needy Christians there in Jerusalem. And, uh, he's come. He, he, he was in the temple worshiping, uh, sponsoring four men that had taken a vow. And, and there he was accosted. There he was taken and accused of having a Gentile into an area where they shouldn't have been and, and accused of profaning the temple. And they took him outside the temple and was beating him to death when Lysias, the captain, came down and rescued him, tried to find out what's going on. And, and he wasn't able to do that, so he had a meeting with all of them the next day. And once again, uh, he couldn't get anywhere with it. And so he found out a, a threat was made on the Apostle Paul's life. And so he sent him to Caesarea. Caesarea was the headquarters of the Romans there in Judea. Uh, that's where Herod the Great's palace was, his big palace on the sea. And, uh, and so there Paul is, and he's waiting for an official Roman, uh, uh, Roman trial, uh, Roman tribunal there. And so, uh, uh, we find the Roman governor Felix. He is here and he's fixing to hear both sides of the party, but they have to wait on, uh, uh the Jews to come. They're waiting on the, the high priest to come. And, uh, in, in five days they get there and uh, we're going to kind of look at who the characters are first in this outline. And so that's where we're at. We're going to see the first trial, the first official trial of the Apostle Paul here in Caesarea, which is right there on the, on the, the sea, right on the coast there. And, uh, and so let's jump right in here. So number one, if you're taking notes, if you're writing notes down, let's look at the involved, the involved. Who are the characters here? Let's kind of, let's kind of give a character description here. And, and verse number one, let's begin in verse number one and we'll just kind of, uh, do a, a running commentary through the verses here. Verse number one. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, 
who informed the governor against Paul. All right, so let's go A, B, C, and D here. First, we find Felix. He's the, he's the Roman governor. Uh, uh, he, is, he would be here the judge in this matter, all right? So we have Felix. Felix is crooked. Felix is, he is a former slave. Uh, the only reason he is in this position is because of his brother and uh, his brother's high contacts in Rome. And, and, but he is crooked. The, the Jews hated him. Uh, he lost his, he lost his official position and had to go answer, uh, to the Caesar in Rome. And, uh, uh, he was called, he was called, uh, by Josephus, the worst ruler that ever swayed the destinies of Judea. So right off the bat, Paul is looking at a difficult situation with a crooked judge, all right? So we have the worst judge, the worst ruler that, that was ever in Judea here. Then we see Ananias. He is with the elders. Some of the, some of the, the Sanhedrin has come and we'll call him the prosecutor. All right. So some of the elders have come and most likely, most likely because of the wording we find here, uh, if you'll remember last week, if you'll remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they kind of got into a, a, a split there and they were, uh, uh, there was a, a division among them because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. So Paul appealed to them and said that I'm just here because I have a belief in the resurrection, just like all of you guys. And, and so there was a division. There was a, a disagreement there, uh, to the point that the captain thought they was going to pull Paul apart. And, and so, but now in those five days, somehow or another, they've made up and they've come back together in their hatred of the apostle Paul, uh, because in his address, Paul says, uh, that some of you are here that allow uh, the resurrection. And so we know that there had to have been some Pharisees here with them. And, and so some way or another, they've, they've patched up and made up. And so we have a, we have uh, some Pharisees here, some Sadducees here. Uh, the, these elders have come with Ananias, the high priest, but they hire somebody. They have a hired gun with them. All right. And, and we see, so we see Felix, would be playing as the judge or, or acting as judge. Ananias is prosecuting Paul. And we see the advocate for the prosecution, uh, the lawyer, if you will, is Tertullus. Uh, we don't know whether he was a Gentile or a Jew, uh, but he was very familiar with the Roman law. And he was, he was to come and present the case for uh, the high priest. Now, now keep in mind, if you, if you don't have much of a case, you better have a good lawyer. And that's basically what we're seeing right here. He was shifty. Uh, he was very slick. Uh, uh, he was very manipulative. And we're, we're going to see that when he begins to present his case. And so what we find is the crooked, crooked, lying, uh, Holy Spirit-less uh, leaders of Israel have come down uh, to attack and to prosecute the Apostle Paul uh, the greatest preacher that probably ever was after the Lord Jesus. And now they, they don't have a case and they don't have, uh, what they need as far as evidence to, to, uh, convince of the prosecution. So they bring a hired gun to try to do the job. All right. Now, then we find Paul. We find Paul, the weather beaten missionary who's been through it all. Who's been through shipwreck and he's been through, uh, 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 he's been through beatings. He's been through all of the things that you can imagine fought with beasts and, 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 and stoned and left for dead, imprisoned unjustly. All of these things. 
and he's standing here before, as far as Josephus said, the most crooked, the most crooked governor Judea ever had. And now we have the crooked uh, 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 prosecutors who are bringing false evidence against him. And so we have the involved. We have the involved. Felix, Ananias, Tertullus, and Paul. All right, number two. Number two, let's, let's look at the indictment. Let's look at the indictment. We see the prosecutor comes forward and begins to present his case. Verse number two. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing, now he's speaking to Felix. Now he's, he's flattering. So if you want to put this in the indictment, A, write this down. I want you to see the flattery, the flattery that's used. All right. He begins to flatter and try to, try to, try to get in good with the, the judge. Now watch this. And when he was called forth, he said, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Now, now why, what are you, why are you saying this? Because none of that's true. He is bragging on him and building him up. The Jews hated him. He was crooked. He was money hungry. Uh, uh, he, he, he took bribes all the time. And so he is lying to, to get on his good side. And it says this, we accept it, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix with all thankfulness. In other words, you got it, please, please get this. You got it. You got to look at this as, as a judge up here that's crooked. And then you got a lawyer that's standing here presenting his case. And he's just as crooked as a judge. And he is slick talking and smooth and just trying to pour honey over this, this situation before he ever, before he ever presents any evidence, before he ever presents the case itself and the charges against him. Why is he doing all this? Because he doesn't have a case. He doesn't have a case. Now let's keep on. We see the flattery used, but then I want you to write this down. Look at the falsehood that's utilized. Verse five, the falsehood that's utilized. It says, for we have found this man, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Now, Three things here. Three things, okay? He's, these are the charges. These are the three charges. First is sedition. All right? That was a Roman charge. That was a Roman charge. They had to have something that had to do with the Roman law there. So they accused Paul basically of being a seditionist or a, a, a homegrown terrorist, if you will. He is, he is committing sedition against Rome. In other words, he's trying to stir up the Jews against Rome. All right? That's, that's falsehood number one. So he, this is a Roman charge, all right? Then secondly, he's, a, he's charging him with heresy, all right? This is a Jewish charge. This is a Jewish religious charge. He's saying he is committing heresy. Watch what he says in verse number five. He is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, now, when we, when we see that, we don't take that as a, we don't take that as criticism. We don't, we don't take that as a ridicule, but it was meant to be a ridicule. You remember when one of the disciples said, hey, we found him. We found him. We found the Messiah. They said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good? It was looked down upon. 
Nothing was good about Nazareth. Nothing was good about that area. They were, they were all as nobodies and, and, and low life scum, if you will. So he is using this as a way of putting Paul down and putting, uh, the Christians down in this way. So he's charging him with sedition and he's charging him with heresy. And then here, here's the one that started the whole deal. All right. Verse number six, verse number six. Who also hath gone about to profane the temple. Who hath also gone about to profane the temple. Now he's charging him with sacrilege. All right? Sacrilege. Sedition, Roman charge. Heresy, Jewish, Jewish religious charge. Sacrilege, Jewish religious charge. Okay? So he, he's saying, look, he's trying to cause trouble. He's a troublemaker. He's a troublemaker who's, who's, who's against Rome. Uh, and he's causing, he's trying to stir up people to go against Rome. Uh, he's, he's, he's leading this new religion. He's leading this new religion, which was, by the way, outlawed by the Romans. Uh, and so we, 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 we bring that charge against him. But also the main thing is, is he has brought, uh, he, he's tried to profane the temple. Now, if you'll remember, they, they, they seen him in the temple and they knew he had a Gentile with him. One of his traveling partners was a Gentile, uh, and, and, and so they just assumed, they just assumed that he had brought this Gentile into the temple, which is false. It never happened. And when they found and seen Paul in the temple, Paul was there praying, Paul was there worshiping, and they take him and they accuse him of this, and here we go. This is what started the whole deal. Now, so with these three charges, watch what else he does. Watch what else he does. Look in verse number, look in verse number six. Watch what he says. He's presented the charges. He's presented the charges. And now he says, whom we took, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. In other words, they're saying, we had this. We had this taken care of. We, we were, we were minding our own business. Your honor. We had this. We had this. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 7. But, watch what he does. Watch what he does. He throws He throws the chief captain under the bus. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Now, that's another lie. The only ones that were committing great violence was the Jews that were beating Paul half to death. And they would have beat him to death without any kind of, uh, without any kind of court, without any kind of ruling, without any kind of trial. It was Lysias that rescued Paul from their great violence. So we see another lie. We see another lie. Do you notice how he's trying to make, he's trying to make his argument to the best that makes them look? And he's, and he's, he's throwing shade on the chief captain. He said, he come and took about it. In other words, we had this all taken care of. There ain't even no reason for us to be here. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. Verse seven. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things and we accuse him. And the Jews also, in other words, the group with him, these false witnesses, the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. 
All right. So here's what they said. Uh, man, you're, you're awesome. You're the coolest judge on the planet. I'm telling you, there is nobody like you. We are so glad that you're, you're over us and we're so glad you're greasing him up. Are y'all with me? Just, just setting him up. Just, just put, just pouring it on him. And then here's the charges. Sedition, uh, sedition. Then we have heresy and then we have sacrilege. He profaned the temple and, 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 and we had it. We had, we was taking care of the problem. I mean, there, there's, there's no even need of us even being down here. But, but the Roman captain, the Roman captain came and took him from us. We were handling the situation and with great violence, all, all lies, all lies. So that's the prosecution's case. That's what he presents before the judge. Now the judge gives Paul. Now, the judge gives Paul an opportunity to respond and to defend his case, okay? So we see the flattery used. We see the falsehood utilized, all right? Now, number three, number three. Number one, we have the involved. Number two, we have the indictment. Number three, we have the indicted. We have the one that's charged, the Apostle Paul, verses 10 through 21. Two things I want to show you. Two things I want to show you here. Well, there's more than two things, but just two things to write down. First, I want you to see his demeanor. I want you to look at his demeanor. This is really important. All right, keep in mind, keep in mind, he's standing before a crooked judge. He is being accused by a crooked, slick, high-powered, probably high-paid lawyer who has false witnesses. You with me? I hope y'all paying attention to this now. Imagine how you would feel. Imagine how you would feel. Crooked judge, crooked lawyer, bunch of false witnesses. But watch. Watch what it says. The Bible says, verse 10, Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, watch what it says, I do the more, what's that word, people? Cheerfully. Say it at home. Cheerfully. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. I want you to see his demeanor. Paul was not, Paul was not losing his mind. Paul was not, he was, he, he was not, uh, uh, at a point of frustration. Paul was not, he was not fearful. He was not afraid. He was not scared. He was not biting his fingernails down to the quick. No. He said, I'll be glad to answer for myself. Here I am. Here we go. Now, there was a verse that come to my mind. When I saw that, I thought, man, that's awesome. You know why? Because, listen, it, truth will always prevail. Period. Truth will always prevail. Watch what, it, watch what the Bible says. It says this in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. In other words, they're always running. They're always scared. They're always looking around. They always have that guilty conscience. But watch this right here. But the righteous are bold as a lion. 
The righteous are bold as a lion. We have one man here that's righteous. We have one man that's holy and godly. And he steps forward, bold as a lion, not afraid, not timid, not scared, not trembling, not not shaken, not frustrated, not upset whatsoever. He says, I'll be glad to answer for myself. That's what this world needs to see. This world needs to see somebody that's cool, calm, and collected. This world needs to see somebody that's full of the Holy Ghost. We are living in crazy times right now. We're living in, 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 a, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a cultural crisis, and we have people that are on edge like crazy, cussing each other out in, in the middle of Walmart, uh, horn beeping, uh, road rage, everything you can imagine. And this is what we need to understand. Let's calm down. Let's, let's spend some time with God. Let's get in the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit control our thoughts and our minds and bring a peace on the inside. Peace can come. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. Peace is coming from the inside. And if we are led by the Holy Spirit, we could be standing in front of a crooked judge. We could be standing in front of a crooked lawyer. We could be standing in front of false witnesses and still be cool, calm, and collected. He said, let me answer for myself. I cheerfully, I cheerfully answer for myself. Please get that, people. This this is so important right here. The righteous, the righteous are bold as a lion. And we're, and we're going to see this demeanor again later on in the, in the chapter, but, but see this. He stands forward probably, probably with a smile on his face, probably with a smile on his face and says, let me answer for myself. Let me give my defense and present this. All right. So we see his demeanor. Then I want you to see his defense. He begins to defend. And he addresses, he addresses each of the charges, okay? His defense, verse 11. Verse 11. Because that thou mayest understand. Let me me go back to the end of verse 10. He said, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they are now accusing of me. Now, here, here's what he's saying. He said, they're accusing me of sedition. They're, they're accusing me of rise, rallying the people up and stirring the people up, trying to stir them up against, against Rome. He said, man, I ain't even been in town for 12 days. I just got here. I just got here and they can't prove anything that they have said. 12 days, but, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm causing riots and I'm, I'm stirring people up. I haven't stopped anybody. I haven't tried to stir anybody up. They cannot prove one item of this charge. Look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 13. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. He said, but this I confess, but this I confess. Under thee, that after the way, now keep in mind, the way, they called that, they called him uh, a ringleader of the Nazarenes, but Paul says it's the way. And there's several places in the book of Acts you'll see the way. Uh, and, and that might be from where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we are in the way, right? Now watch what he says. 
He says, I, I, I confess unto thee that after the way, my Christian faith, my Christian belief, my Christian walk, that after the way, which they call heresy, he said, they call him a heresy, but this is what I believe. I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which were written in the law. Watch this. What's that next word? And. And. I underline that. If you'll notice, I've got it highlighted in my Bible, and the only word right there underlined is and. Is and. Now, why do you think I did that? If you'll remember, if you'll remember from last week, that the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't believe in any of the rest. The Pharisees did. They believed in the prophets. They believed in all of the writings there. And Paul is saying, let me tell you something about this way. He said, I, I am following the law, first five books of the Bible, and the prophets. And the prophets. So now he's appealing to this, to, to whatever Pharisees may be in this crowd and looking on. He said, I'm going by the book. My belief in Christ is by the book. I can show you Christ in the Old Testament. I can show you Christ through the prophets and the law. I am following, I am going by the book. Now he puts them on alert because now he's showing that he is right. And they are wrong. All right. Watch this right here. Verse verse uh, 15. And have hope and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow. Now, watch. see, that's where that's where we know that there's some Pharisees among them. He, because he's the hope of the resurrection. Some of the Pharisees has it. They're, they're allowed to have that. He said, I'm just believing the same thing that they're allowed to believe. He says, and have hope toward God which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. What's he saying? He said this way, this way that they're calling heresy is by the book. It's by the book. I'm following, I'm following the same scriptures that they say they're following and the way is according to these scriptures. And the hope that I have of the resurrection is the same hope that they have. So obviously we know he was referring to the Pharisees in the group. All right. Now he begins to, now he, that those, that's addressing the charges. Now he's going to, now he's going to address, now he's going to address the third charge. Okay. The one of profaning the temple. He said, let me tell you what I was doing. Let me tell you what I was doing. Verse 17. Verse 17. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Alms is, is, is charity. It's money. It's, 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 it's uh, uh, giving. He said, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me, watch how he says it, they found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. In other words, he's saying, I wasn't doing anything. I was in a place that I had a right to be in. I was, I was in a, uh, I was in a position 
to be in that place because I had purified myself. Even coming out of the Gentile countries and the Gentile places, I had purified myself before I was there. So I had a right to be there as a Jew. I had, I was, I was spiritually right to be there. And he says, they found me and I wasn't causing any trouble. I wasn't causing any riot. I wasn't dealing with any person. In verse 19, and by the way, by the way, these Jews from Asia, which was Ephesus, by the way, these Jews, these Ephesians, they ought to be here now. Look what it says. Who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. In other words, if they had a problem with me, then they should be here answering. They should be here to prove what they accuse me of. Or else let these same here. Now he's, now he's looking at Ananias and the, and the elders that came with him and, and, and the, uh, the slick talking lawyer. Or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me, which I stood before the council. What have I done? As a matter of fact, the only riot getting stirred up was from these Ephesian Jews. They should be here in this trial. They should be here to answer for what they accused me of. I stirred up nothing. It was them and that's usually the way it is, the same way with Jesus. People that do the accusing are usually guilty of what they're accusing somebody else of doing. Verse number 21. Except it be for this one voice. Now he brings again. He says, this is what it's all about. Except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question to you this day. So Paul with confidence. Paul, with confidence, defends his position and defends all of the charges. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, crooked judge, crooked judge, crooked lawyer, false witnesses, false charges, but Paul is standing here boldly. Can you imagine this judge? Can you imagine this judge? And he sees all of these people in this beat down looking rough, done been through it, life's been, life's been rough on him. And he's standing there, but yet he's standing there boldly. He's standing there with authority. He's standing there in the power of God and blowing away all the accusations of the wicked. That's the way we need to be. Look here. Look what happens. Verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, talking about Christianity, he was very familiar with it. He deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. What did he do? He's a, (laughs) he is a true politician. He said, we're just going to put this off. We're just going to put this. I'm not going to make no decision here. And the sad part about this, we find that this is the first time he misses a good opportunity to do the right thing. He could have let Paul go right here. There was no, there was no evidence of the charges. He knew he was an innocent man, but yet in order to try to please the Jewish people, he kept him and said, and just put it off and said, said, we'll just wait on this deal. So he deferred it. He postponed it. So we'll wait till, we'll wait till, 
the Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, and I'll get more information with him from him. And what more information did they need? There was no evidence. Verse 23. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. In other words, he, he was saying, be gentle with Paul. Uh, don't be rough with him. Let him have any, anything he needs. Let him have any, any people come into him. So, so God is taking care of Paul, even though he's probably uh, frustrated uh, with not having his, his complete freedom. At least he's, he's having freedom and gets to stay at a cool pad, all right? He's still staying at Herod's palace on the sea, a beach house. Say amen right there, all right? Now, here's, here's really, to me, to me, all of that's good, cool material, but this is, this is the sad part, and this is where we really need to hunker down and look into this, this next couple of verses, okay? Let's look in verse number 24. <clears throat> and after certain days, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul. Now watch what he did. And heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And he answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener. In other words, they met several more times and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Let's go back to verse 24. Number one, if you're taking notes, you wrote down the involved. Then we have the indictment. Then we have the indicted. Then number four, last of all, I want you to see the interview. The interview. <clears throat> This is, this is, between this one and another opportunity where Paul gives an invitation where he hears, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It's probably two of the saddest responses that a, a minister will ever hear. And, and so let's, let's just, let's look at this for a minute. Let's look at the congregation. A, A, all right, the congregation. Paul has a little mini church service here, okay? And he has a congregation of two people, Felix and Drusilla, all right? Let me give you a little background on them to help you understand something here in a few moments, okay? Felix and Drusilla, remember remember what I said that Joseph said about Felix? Uh, he was the worst, let me, let me read it again. He was the worst ruler that ever swayed the destinies of Judea. He was crooked, he was wicked, he was evil. Uh, he was very manipulative. He, he, he liked to accept bribes. He was hoping to get bribes here to release Paul. So he was money hungry. Uh, every vice you can imagine he has. Uh, Drusilla, Drusilla is the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Now, if you'll remember, if you'll go back a few chapters, you'll remember not, this is not Herod the Great that built the palace there at Caesarea. Uh, this is his son, uh, Herod Agrippa, who, who, Built, uh, uh, who, who is here. If you'll remember, he gave the, he gave the speech 
and they cried out, he's a God, he's a God, there at the, at the theater there in Caesarea, and he's crying, he's giving these speeches, and, and God struck him down dead, and he was eaten with worms. Well, that was Drusilla's, that was Drusilla's daddy, all right? Well, she was already very, very, very young, very young, already married to another king. She was a runaway wife of King Azus, Azizus, Azizus, I hope that's how you say that, Azizus of Emesa. Well, Felix saw her. And according to, according to historians, she was very, very beautiful. I mean, very beautiful. Well, he was smitten. He was smitten by her and convinced, used, used a, uh, uh, used a con man, uh, to convince her to leave her husband and come and be with him. So she's also wicked. She's an adulterer living in open adultery, uh, with Felix. And so this is the congregation, but yet they have a curiosity. They have a curiosity. Uh, there was something about, there was something about the trial. There was something there that, that Felix heard as Paul began to defend his case and to defend, uh, uh, what he was doing and why he was doing that. So he came to hear and he wanted to hear more about the gospel, more about the way. And so we have the congregation, but then B, write this down. We have the content. We have the content. What is being said? Verse number 24. It says, they sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. I think everything, the theme of every message should get to Christ some way or another. I don't care what you're preaching on. You need to get to Jesus some way. He is the center of everything. He is the point. He is the subject. He's the theme. And so we need to tell people about Christ. But watch what he used. He was very practical. And by the way, faith is practical. Faith is practical. If all you ever hear being taught or preached is something that you can't practice, uh, that's not good. He was very practical in the, the different things that we see here. First, you see righteousness. He's preaching and teaching on righteousness and reasoning. You see that word, reasoning. And as he reasoned, that means he's presenting, he's presenting an argument. He's having a discussion, presenting an argument. He is showing information. He's most likely quoting Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament prophets and, and he's showing them about righteousness. And what about righteousness? Well, you got to understand that we have none. Paul has said in Romans chapter number three, there is none righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short. We've all are sinners. We are, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. It says that we have to have the righteousness of God. God requires perfection to get in. We can't have, we can't establish our own righteousness as the Jews were trying to do. They were very zealous of God going about to establish their own righteousness, but they were ignorant of God's righteousness, which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got to know, you got to know that absolute perfection is required to get into heaven. Complete righteousness is, is required. Well, what kind of righteousness do we have? Well, according to scripture, our righteousness, our good deeds, the best we can do is as filthy rags in God's eyes. So what is he saying? He's teaching on righteousness. It, it, it requires perfection. That's what, that is what's required to be righteous. Righteous, right with God. Absolute perfection is required to be right with God. 
Guess what? We don't have that. If you, if you sin one little time, you are imperfect. You have missed the mark. If you've told one little lie, you've completely missed the mark. You are a sinner. You have, you are imperfect and you are unrighteous. And he begins to tell him about the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. Amen. So he's teaching him about righteousness. We're going to skip the middle one. We're going to skip the middle one and come back to it. All right. Then he teaches about judgment to come. Now, what is motivating us to be righteous? Because we're going to be judged one day. We're going to be judged one day. Judgment is coming for the sinner. Judgment is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of things we may miss and we may be late for. But judgment is coming. Sin will be judged. God will not he, he will not sweep anything under the rug. God will not ignore sin. God will not look away. It will be dealt with. The question is, are you going to allow Jesus to be judged for your sins? Or are you going to be judged on your own? He's telling them righteousness is required. The righteousness of God is required. Absolute perfection is required. You must be righteous because judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. I always wondered about this. I mean, I've read this, I've read these verses a, a bazillion times and, and, and I understand righteousness. I mean, when you're dealing with somebody and you're preaching and you want, you want to lead them to salvation, they got to understand their condition. They got to understand their condition. If they don't, you can't get saved till you get lost. You can't do it. You're not going to go to the doctor unless you, you know you're sick and you're not going to get saved unless you know you're lost. You don't realize you need a savior until you understand you're a sinner. You must acknowledge your sin. So I understand teaching about righteousness because that really shows us where we are and who we are in our condition. And I understand, I understand teaching about uh, uh, judgment to come because that is motivation. That is motivation to want to get righteous because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend eternity in a place that was created for the devil and his angels. So I understand that. I understand that. But why? Why? Why is he teaching on temperance? Why is he, why is he teaching on self-control? That's what temperance means. Why is he teaching on self-control? You see, preaching should be personal. Preaching should be personal. Do you know what one thing most likely that Felix and Drusilla had the biggest problem with? Self-control. They were both about themselves. They were living in an adulterous relationship. They, he, he was a hoarder of money. He wanted money. They had no self-control. What did he do? He pinpointed their personal problem. Now, it's kind of like, if you'll remember, you remember when the rich young ruler? Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? And he said, what, what I need to do to get saved? I've, I've kept the law from my youth. I did this and I did that and I did this. But he had one problem. He had one problem. He said, I'll tell you what you do. He said, go sell your stuff and give to the poor and you're going to have treasure in heaven. And then come on and follow me. He turned around and went away sorrowfully. Why? Because Jesus pinpointed his problem. And what is Paul doing? He's pinpointing. He's getting personal. He, is, he has pulled up into their driveway and is beeping the horn. 
He's getting in their face. You see, that's the difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is, here's the information. Preaching is, what are you going to do with it? Preaching will get in your face. That's why people in the last days, they're, they're heaping upon themselves teachers having itching ears. A teacher would have just talked about righteousness and judgment. But a preacher saying, you got a problem with self-control. That's why you're not righteous. And so Paul is, is, is preaching a sermon that's getting to where they truly are and is digging into the heart of the problem. But then look at this, number three, or C. Or three. C. We'll get it right in a minute. All right, we have the congregation, we have the content, but then look at the conviction. Look at the conviction. The Bible says, Felix trembled. Felix tripped. He was under such conviction that he began to tremble. Fear gripped him. He began to examine his life. He began to examine the things that he had done. He examined the, the life he was presently living. And because of the powerful preaching of a man of God, he begins to tremble and he brings great conviction on Felix, on Felix. Nothing said about Drusilla, nothing. We see three things here, I, I truly believe. These, these are not in notes, if, so if you want to write them down, you need to write them down because it's not in the notes. We see someone with a clear conscience. Paul is a nobody, really. He, he's, he's a nobody of the way. He's not wealthy. He's not powerful in, in the way, in the big scheme of things, but he's sitting in the audience in man's eyes of two powerful people, yet he's standing there bold. You know why? Because he's got a clear conscience. So we see the boldness of a clear conscience. And then we see Felix and we see the fear of a guilty conscience. The fear of a guilty conscience. Then thirdly, we see the insensitivity of a seared conscience. There is no response from Drusilla. There is no conviction. There is no trembling. There is nothing that's mentioned. There is nothing that's said. She's not moved. One bit. If you're watching by way of the internet, you're in one of those three places. You're listening to me with a clear conscience. And you have joy and you have peace. But you may be listening to me with a guilty conscience. And right now there's probably a little fear. There's probably a little anxiety. There's probably a little anticipation going on. And I hope to God there's nobody here with a seared conscience. Seared means the nerve endings are, are, the nerve endings are destroyed. There's no feeling. Listen, when a man comes and he trembles at the preaching of God's word, he's under conviction and he feels it. But then I've seen people sin past that place in their life and they keep rejecting God and they keep rejecting God and they keep, listen, being an unbeliever and refuse to submit to God. 
and to a point that they have a seared conscience where they don't feel anything. They don't feel trembling. They don't feel fear. They don't feel conviction. They don't feel the touch and the presence of God. One of those three places. Now I want you to look at the conclusion. The conclusion. He said, Paul, I tell you what, you, you, need, you, need, to, you need to go. When I get a convenient season, when, when, when it's convenient, I, I'll, 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 I'll call you and we'll, we'll talk about this again. But we find that that season never came. In this moment, in this moment of Holy Ghost conviction, in this moment where God put his destiny in his hand, he has to make a choice to either accept Christ or reject Christ. In this moment, he turned away. But we see, we see that there were several other meetings, but never again is it recorded that they discuss salvation and righteousness and faith in Christ. Well, what was he doing? Why was he meeting with Paul? Because he was trying to get a bribe. He was trying to get money. And most likely, most likely that's because of what he heard in Paul's defense. Because Paul said, I'm bringing alms and I'm bringing an offering. And so he probably thinks Paul has all of this money and he's trying to get a kickback. He's trying to get a bribe to let him go. And so we know his heart did not change. He was under conviction. He had an opportunity. He was standing at the gate of heaven and walked away. This reminds me of Judas, who spent three years with the Lord Jesus. Spent three years of watching miracle after miracle after miracle. Hearing the word of God from the very mouth of God. Seeing the most incredible things. And he stood at the gate of heaven and went to hell. Listen, if Jesus is dealing with you tonight, don't turn your back on him. Let me tell you about righteousness. You don't have any. Nobody has it. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, sin's going to be paid for. You're either going to allow Jesus to pay for your sin on the cross or you're going to pay for your sin for all eternity in hell. It's going to be paid for. You don't have to pay for it, though, because it says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid for your debt, so you don't have to, but you have to receive it from him. It says in Romans 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we'll confess him Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Will you believe today? Is God dealing with you? Are you feeling it? Are you, are you trembling inside? Is God speaking to you right now? Is God speaking to you right now? He wants you to believe. What do I do? 
The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're watching by way of the web, I want to tell you, if you're ready to pray and ask God to forgive you, don't be like Felix, don't procrastinate, don't say there's a more convenient season because that season will never come. It's never convenient. There's never a convenient time. It's never convenient to be a Christian. It's never convenient to be saved. Today is a day of salvation. Right now, if you're ready to accept him tonight and you're ready to receive him and repent and turn to him for salvation, I want you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, and it's not what you're saying with your mouth, it's what you're doing right now with your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And the best I know how, I'm asking you now to forgive me and to save me. The best I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me and to save me. I believe that Jesus came and died. I believe that Jesus came and died and rose again. I believe with all of my heart, forgive me of my sin. I believe with all of my heart, please forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. I hope, I hope if you're watching and God is speaking to your heart, you prayed with me and you put your trust and faith in the Lord. If you did, if you did, man, I'm so proud, I'm so tickled. We've got a little booklet we'd like to give you that says, now that you believe, what's next? What's the next step? Where, where do we go from here? And we've got a little booklet we'd like to get to you. And, 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 and the only way we can do that is for you to let us know. We're going to follow up with you and we'll get that booklet out to you. And if we can help in any way, feel free to call the church office and, and we'll get back with you and get in contact with you. But I hope you will put your faith in Christ. No more procrastination. No more putting it off. Today is the day of salvation. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our churches. Pray for it. Listen, we just need God. That's what we need God. I hope you have a great night. Good night. God bless you.